Kansas City's talk show for throttle junkies, motorheads, and anyone who loves rocking the driver's seat. From barn fresh to concour ready, Road Muscle Radio parks the latest news and the biggest names in rolling thunder right in your ears. Let's welcome your show hosts, 30 plus year radio veteran, author, playwright, lousy karaoke singer, and lover of fat and freaky American classic cars, Mark Catfish Groves, and freelance automotive journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine and American Car Collector Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield. Let's put the pedal to the metal. Road Road Muscle Muscle Radio is on the air. Welcome back. Buckle up and be sure to check out Road Muscle Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and at RoadMuscleRadio.com for links, our blog, uh, what few events that we can currently find that are, it's weird, man. They're still dropping. Uh, even the ones yeah, in June they are. and July. I, and I'm like, oh. I, I, I think what's going to happen is when we finally get loose of all this stuff, there's going to be a huge pent up demand. And the first month's worth of events <laughs> like cars and coffee and night cruises and stuff are going to be so freaking packed. People are going to wonder what happened. We'll see what shakes with it. And of course, you can find our podcast there on RoadMuscleRadio.com. I'm Catfish Groves. I'm Brett Hatfield. And coming up, we're going to talk the history of mid-engine vets, you know, the the nine that that came out before the most recent one. Oh, there, there's so much stuff there. It's so cool. Uh, there'll be an update on how you might want to get your kicks on Route 66, you know, while you can. An interesting conversation from HotRod.com on what makes a muscle car a muscle car. Haggerty's list of six classic full-size cars that might work as your low-dollar muscle are... Haggerty's list of six classic full-size cars that might work as your low-dollar muscle alternative. And then in the second half, we're going to bring on South Dakota State Representative Larry Zickmond. And Larry pushed through a bill. Uh, he, he led it through. Let's put it that way. It got un- pretty much un- it unanimously passed. That's for collector car days in South Dakota. We're going to chat with him about how, how do we do that? Because I want God one. bless Larry Zickman. I bet you wish that Haggerty list came in a life-size 3D scratch and sniff. <laughs> you are not wrong. So let's <laughs> oh, uh, and uh, just FYI, how's your week been? Uh, not bad, not bad. So you know, I spent last year trying to get rid of cars. Yes, yes, you went. Uh, you were clearing the uh, clearing the weeds, more or less. Yeah, I got really rid of, nice. I got weeds. rid of lots of stuff. I sold that '63 Impala. Yeah, uh, I got to ride in it once. It was cool. Sold the big bad Bronco. I sold that craptastic Jeep that I tried to push off on your kid. <laughs> uh, sold a lot of stuff. I, uh-huh. I cleared out my garage. But uh, that's not really true to my nature. Yeah, I, I know you're, you're the kind of guy. That, well, that's empty space, and that's wasting space. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if it has four wheels on it, there's a chance that I want the sucker. <laughs> so last week, um, rather than just doing the smart thing, having few cars and few expenses, I did the gearhead thing, and I went and got two more cars. Two, two, two. Two. I I thought and, I knew about true one. True to form, true to form. I uh, I shop where I like to shop most often, uh, out of relatives' garages, and <laughs> I helped out my parents, and I took two cars off their hands, and one of them is a a giant German Teutonic tank land barge with nice. a massive V twelve in it. Oh my god! Yeah. Okay. It's stupid, and it hasn't run in years, and that'll be fun to try and bring Good back. Good times. To life. <laughs> And the other thing I got was a hot rod pickup because why not have a hot rod pickup? Well, doesn't everybody need a hot rod pickup? I mean, yes, absolutely. Sure. You know, those trips to Lowe's are just faster. 
That's that's a yeah, lot of salt. Well, you need something that'll turn a four by eight sheet of uh, sheetrock into a four by <laughs> six sheet by the time you get home. <laughs> Well, you you might be a little proud of me. I uh, I've actually talked with a guy a few times on uh, Facebook Marketplace about a '55 Plymouth that he's got. Ooh, uh, it's and it's looking kind of good. It's in my price range, you know, down okay. in the, down in the bottom. And it's, it's in Arkansas. You no, it's it's not in Arkansas. Which is you kinda, looked at a car that wasn't in Arkansas. Yeah, but it's six hours west. <laughs> West Northwest, so it's like it's in Arkansas, except without the pretty trees and the hills. It's just out there, yeah. way the hell nowhere, uh, Kansas. But uh, well, it's looking pretty good. It's a six banger, flathead six, and okay. but it is a power flight transmission. Guy says, you know, it runs good and this and that, and there's there's no visible rust through oh. on it anywhere. Oh, you know, it'll uh, it'll need the little help, like the first Plymouth that I owned uh, back in you know eighteen ninety two. Um, when I was a kid, that 55 Plymouth, the, the front end, the, one of the pieces of the chrome, cause it's got that three piece grill in the front, kind of like a yeah. big handlebar mustache. And, um, the right part of the handlebar on this one has a dent in it. And you can see it kind of dinged the, uh, the, the chrome on the hood just a little bit. But this, uh, other, other than that, there's, uh, you know, there's going to have to be some weather stripping replaced and, uh, sure. And a little bit of, you know, this, that, and the other. And it's blue, which I'm not a big fan <sighs> of. I like blue. I'm not a fan. And this, you know, this is that kind of mm, 50s seafoam interior, seafoam green and blue. Oh. And it, it kind of wants to be almost, it's almost like chewing bad candy. You know, the old candy that was left in your grandma's dishes, the crap that nobody else mm-hmm. would eat because it was like blueberry esque. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of that color, but well, the more I look at it, the more when, I like uh, it. When pastel ruled. <laughs> oh, amen. And it's got like, <laughs> I think it's 55,000 on it, miles. Oh. So power flight, 55,000, runs, um, needs, a, needs a little bit of love, but within my price range, it's it's looking pretty good. The hard part is, is trying to decide. I like it. Well, with, uh, with social distancing and knowing how long I always wait to pull the trigger so I can wait too long uh, and go, Oh, darn it. It's gone. Now I don't have to actually make that decision. Uh, pathetic, but true. The, uh, this one, I'm trying to decide, do I, do I take a chance and, uh, say, okay, uh, let me send a car carrier, load it and they can just drop it off in front of my house. You know, no touchy touchy, kind of like uh, what is it, Carvana, except for cheap skates. Uh-huh. So I don't know. I'm still thinking that one through. Or, 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 or we could rent a U-Haul flatbed and hook it up to the back of I don't know a a white Navigator, maybe. Oh, something that I could, could actually pull it down a highway without it pulling the truck down the highway. That yes. 56 Plymouth I brought home on the back of a U-Haul. And let me tell you, that was pushing the limits of my little Silverado. It was kind of like, hey, check it out. I'm doing the hustle because my ass end is dancing. <laughs> uh, the, the Navigator likes a good tow. Okay. Mm, so, we're going to talk. Yes. Yes, we could. All right. Well, then it's been a good week. It's a good week for both of us. Let's get into the news. The uh, There was a Kia dealership, and you've seen this in a lot of news. I got this off of driving.ca. Uh, because this list I thought was really super cool. Kia, de- Kia dealership is selling an early '60s mid-engine Pontiac concept car that GM refused to build. Because I know. It, yeah, uh, we put a link to the story that's about that car. It's on our Facebook page. But um, this thing, they they wouldn't build it because it might have rivaled the Corvette. 
and they can't have that. And it was going to be just a fast, fast little uh, fiberglass car, and it looked cool. It's like what an Opal should have been, you know. Well, and it's that's where the styling for the Opal came from. Okay, that that model uh, that concept was also uh, had a pretty good touch of Larry Shinoda to it, who is the designer and stylist responsible for the third generation Corvettes that started in 1968. Nice. And that's where that styling came from. It came from that concept. So yes, it did trickle down and become a Corvette. It became a real car. (laughs) Oh, but there's, uh, there was that one that came out and I was, as I was reading about that, this uh, article suddenly popped up and it is from back in June of 2018 on driving.ca where they put a, put it, they listed nine mid-engine Corvette concepts that mm-hmm. came out before the current mid-engine Corvette. I did not yes. know there were nine tries at it, nine different designs that were put out as a possible mid-engine Corvette. I thought maybe like two, and this well, uh, this kind of surprised me. Uh, from the very jump, uh, Zora Duntoff, who is considered to be one of the fathers of the Corvette, was pushing really hard to start to turn the Corvette into a mid-engine car. So this and is this the is, mark of Zora. This was from back in the 50s. He was pushing. Oh, this. Lordy. Oh, how fun. Uh, and, you know, the, the Germans had done mid-engine performance cars back in, in as early as the late 30s. Oh, wow. So uh, they realized that there's a better weight bias when you get it, uh, you know, toward the rear of the car. And it also puts less weight on the front tires for better handling. Uh, you know, you tend not to have the oversteer and it doesn't push as much. And so Duntoff was pushing for this from the very jump. And initially they thought they were going to be able to get it done with the 63 Stingray, the, the second generation Corvette, which obviously wasn't. And each generation until he retired, Duntoff pushed really hard. To have the car, the Corvette turned into a mid-engine car. Yeah, and they did a lot of design exercises, and starting with in '64 with the Surf Two, but they had also had tried it with the Surf One before that, which was more of a almost an open wheel racer, if memory serves. And then with the the Surf Two, which was really a bare bones kind of a. GM's experimental stab at what they would use to compete with Ferrari and Ford, you know, uh, with the advent of the GT40. But part of the reason, and when I say serve, it's CERV, it stands for Chevrolet Engineering Research Vehicle. Um, part of the reason that they didn't go after that, it was killed by the GM brass, is after 1955, there was a huge wreck at Le Mans. And a Mercedes uh, 300 SL tumbled into the crowd there. Oh. And the engine came loose as it tumbled, and it killed 13 people. Lordy. Yeah. And parts of the Mercedes were made out of magnesium. You ever seen how that burns? Oh, no, no, yeah. no. Oh, yeah. That, it, it was mm. very, very, very ugly. And so all the manufacturers, all the American manufacturers – at that time that formed the AMA, the American, uh, uh, the American manufacturers of automobiles, uh, said that they were, they signed an agreement saying that they wouldn't get involved in competition. So building something to go after the GT40 really didn't make much sense to the GM brass and they killed it. But 
they built this thing and it, it had all aluminum. Looking. Uh, yeah, oh it, it God, is that's cool a gorgeous looking. car. Especially with the Zoomy pipe, Zoomy headers yes. coming straight out. Yes, back. I was going to mention that. I was going to actually let you finish and then I was going to go, but the pipes, the pipes. Yeah, it looks like, like something out of Speed Racer, doesn't it? Oh, it's excellent. That little hood scoop on the top, too. And then the side scoops, like on an F4 Phantom. I'm just like. Well, the feed, you uh, got to have those to cool the brakes. You got to have them to feed the engine in the rear as well. But it was a an all aluminum three, 377 cubic inch single overhead cam. Uh, motor making almost 500 horsepower Jesus. which coincidentally is the same damn engine that they had in the six grand sports <laughs> well how so the you... grand sport corvette yeah they just lifted the same engine out of that and, and put it in this everything old is and new again. uh yeah it, it was planned it was a, a direct rival for uh the ford gt40 and the gm brass killed that yeah um and the engineers uh, obviously, uh, you couldn't have their mid-engine super vet. Not yet. So uh, it just—it was just a prototype. Now, and you couldn't shut Zora Duntoff up. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> he always pushed for the Corvette to be a higher performance car, to have uh, a faster engine, better handling, better brakes. And so, in 1968, we get the XP880, also known as the Astro Two. And this is more of what you would expect from a rear engine car. Very swoopy, very sleek, very low uh, front fascia. Uh, it looks like your traditional uh, mid-engine car. And they put a 7-liter V8, V8 in this, which is a 427. Bang. 390 horse, 427. And they, uh, they ran that through... A two-speed transaxle borrowed from Pontiac, from a Pontiac Tempest. Why? Oh. That's got to be just because it fit and they didn't have anything yeah. else. Also, yeah. to try and take more weight off the front end, they moved the radiator to the back. <laughs> now, if you know anything about GM big blocks, particularly anything displacing more than 400 cubes, they run hot. They just do. And so it would have made for compromised cooling. And uh, the the bodywork on it was very swoopy. There's no bumpers on it at all. No, it, it was just gorgeous. It's like it's got uh, the uh, it's got the Corvette hips, except it's just yes. short. Yeah, it's it looks exactly like a third gen Corvette, except the engine's been moved to the back and the front end is uh, is is lower and wider. Yeah. And it's just beautiful. And again, Zora Duntoff was pushing really, really hard for this to happen. Uh, but, you know, there were very few mid-engine cars on the road. And the ones that were there were super expensive. Yeah. Even more than regular Corvette. So it didn't happen again. But Zora, God bless him, still was pushing for a mid-engine car. So <laughs> I will have my mid-engine Corvette, yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, you, you were just going to get it one way or another. <laughs> uh, and so we get the 70 XP882 which was super cool looking. And if you look at the wheels, the wheels are uh, what wound up on the Corvette in 76, those slotted aluminum mags. Oh, you're right. Uh, you can see the lineage from these quite directly. Uh, it was it was a little too space-agey, a little too modern, a little too new. And the article said that they were, they built this kind of in response to the AMC AMX3, which if you're familiar with, that's a really neat looking car, uh, very low and swoopy, uh, exactly what you get from having a mid-engine car. Uh, 
the, the Mercedes C111. And the article says the Di Tommaso Pantera. But this thing, uh, they started working on it in 68, and it didn't debut till 70. The Pantera didn't debut till 71. What was being made by Di Tommaso at that time was a Mangusta. And the Mangusta came out of a, uh, at one time, uh, Alejandro de Tommaso had a working agreement with Carol Shelby, and they were going to build race cars oh. together. And that was in the early 60s, and they had a falling out. And Mangusta translated from Italian as mongoose. So the Mangusta was kind of de Tommaso uh, thumbing his nose at Carol Shelby's Cobra. Because what's a mongoose do? It kills snakes. Yeah, kill, yeah. <laughs> and that's so, a little funny. What do you think of that, huh? Yeah, well, hey, cowboy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big Pantera fan, so I know too much history there, too. That's a good thing. Anyway, uh, they built that in, in answer to the AMX-3 and the C-111, and the DiCamasos were out at the time. Um, and all three of those, were, it seemed at the time, were headed for production. The AMX never made it. They made a few of the C-111s. Uh, that were strictly for competition and didn't, they were never mass produced. Uh, the Pantera was mass produced and was sold through Lincoln dealers here. Yeah. Because it was powered by uh, Ford 351. Okay. So uh, at any, at any rate, uh, Chevy didn't want to be left behind, but then the AMX3 didn't make it to production. I think there were only three of those made. Uh, And they rushed the 882 out. It debuted at the 1970 New York Auto Show. It was powered by a transverse mounted 400 cube V8 running through a three-speed automatic from a Toronado. <laughs> and uh, the response was really good. And GM was going to pull the trigger. And they were finally going to do this and develop it with a big block. And they just, the, po the response was really positive. And so they were, they thought about going with a more radical rotary powered version of the car. <laughs> yeah, that would over packaging. <laughs> and, uh, it just, it, they, they couldn't make it work. They yeah. couldn't make it work. What was it with those Funk and Wagnall motors or whatever they were? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. The, the encyclopedia people were building motors. I still remember uh, my dad, we went to a dealership because he wanted to look at those. And he talked to that dealer for an ungodly long, boring amount of time. And I don't remember all that. I just remember looking at the, the insides of the engines because they showed you how the rotary thing worked. Mm -hmm. And he just talked and talked and talked and, and then never bought one. Those, uh, those rotary engines are funky to watch work. They yeah, they're interesting. They're, they're different. So okay, still pushing one? to come out with a uh, with a mid-engine Corvette 72 two years later. They were doing this every couple of years now. They were coming out with a different version. Uh, they were going to make the XP895, uh, which was very similar to the 882 that preceded it. Mm -hmm. And they were going to make it out of aluminum. Ooh. And GM got into talks about forming a partnership with Reynolds, uh, the <laughs> aluminum people. Uh -huh. And... Uh, that you were going to use some really advanced construction techniques that allowed it to be lighter than conventional steel and, but still make it on an American assembly line. And it was going to be powered again by a 400 cube V8 powered through a three speed. And at the time, uh, the Corvette was just selling too well. Oh, they were selling yeah. a ton of them. Yeah. They really were selling a ton of them. That's why there's so many third-generation Corvettes out floating around. They made a crap load of them. Yeah. And uh, it was just selling too well to justify 
completely revamping the entire car. So they decided to just keep making that third gen Corvette. Yep. Next year, a two rotor Corvette. <laughs> oh, the XP897. <laughs> what a sad looking little car. Now there are a lot of there are a lot of people who like this. And it was kind of cool looking, but the it nose like on a, this was just what is it, an RX seven? One of the not the RX seven, it's one of the early uh oh god, a Nissan. Uh, 280Z. It looks which one? Uh, the uh, this one that we're we're looking at the uh, XP897 oh, GT. It's got a it's got a little 240Z that somebody messed with the nose. It looks. Yeah. I think it looks like uh, you know, a Vega screwed a doorstop. <laughs> yeah, the those headlights, dude. Those headlights. Yeah, those look yeah. like the headlights well, from that uh, 91 Geo Storm I had for years. Or, or again, like I said, this looks exactly like the headlight setup for the 82 uh camaros the third gen camaros that oh ran, okay uh, yeah, yeah. 82 yeah, to well, 91 you're right uh recess flat you know four lights um pushing air they were yeah. going to build this again they were going to try to go the uh the rotary route with a four rotor and those start getting pretty complicated yeah that's a lot of strange stuff and it was a 266 cube, uh, two rotor Wankel producing 180 horsepower. And then they wanted to start talking about. Uh, <laughs> wow. You, you have to say this out loud. Say it out loud. Feel the pain. They were going to use one in a what? In a Corvette. And, and, well, and they, they planned, planned on using the, one in a also, what? <laughs> On a, in a Vega. A Vega. In a Vega. <laughs> in a Vega. Oh, my God. Um, you know, it, what's strange is in 75 or 76, the Vega came out with a four-cylinder uh, four double overhead cam engine uh, made by Cosworth. Oh, the Cosworth Vega. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Cosworth Vegas. And they're super rare. They only made a handful of them, and they were unbelievably expensive. Seriously. And they came with black with gold pinstripes and gold wheels. And I forget what that Cosworth option was worth, but uh, but it seems to me it was like close to $2,000, which at the time was a real chunk of change, especially oh, in yeah. what was supposed to be a little economy car. Yeah. So uh, they didn't yeah. wind up uh, building that because it was going to be launched right at the uh the cusp of the U S oil crisis Yep. when everybody was getting to be worried about economy and everything else in 73, they also had a four rotor Corvette, uh, again, very sleek silver rear engine. You go look at the pictures on they're this beautiful. article, go to the link at roadmuscleradio.com. The pictures for these cars, they're gorgeous. They are stunning. I can't imagine what the Corvette would be today if they'd come out with any one of these. Yeah, they're really, really pretty. That, uh, with the possible exception of that seventy-three XP eight ninety-seven, that's the worst of the just, lot. And it's not, it's not ugly. It's just not great like the rest of them. No, the rest of them are so pretty. It really does make that look awful. Uh, that's not a bad little car. It looks like it was probably done as somebody's, you know, final project coming out of design school. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but the right. four rotor, the four rotor was just sexy. Uh, I really love the way it looked. It was supposed to be uh, a four-rotor rotary engine. Hugely complicated, too much crap, 
Uh, it was going to displace 585 cubic inches and produce 360 horsepower, even during the emission choke mid seventies. And they drove it on a track at up to almost 150 miles an hour. They got it up to 148. Nice. And, uh, I can't imagine what the fuel consumption out of a four rotor 585 cube engine would have been. Oh, and, and by the way, they connected the rotors. They connected rotary engines together with a V belt. It was like two separate engines connected with a belt. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, that's new. So ain't nobody done so, that. Let's try that out for size. All righty. Well, after the 73 four rotor Corvette, they came out with a 76 Arrow vet. It's just a V8 version of the four rotor. Uh, they I'm, didn't build that sucker either. I really uh, like the looks of that though. That that kind of scoop up no, and down. It's, it's the coolest Pinewood Derby car ever. It's absolutely sexy. The thing is like an arrow with a lump in the middle. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, 86 Corvette Indy. Really cool. Very sleek. Very swoopy. Very stereotypically late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Supercar looking. Didn't make that sucker either. It's like if the accurate. Well, it's like if the accurate NSX was good looking. Well, it it looks like somebody, you know, took an Acura and stuck it in the microwave and nuked it a little bit. (laughs) It's a peep. Uh, really cool car. It was made out of carbon Kevlar. There's a good reason not to make it because in 86, that's all done by hand. Oh, my God. Cha-ching. Yeah. Uh, just prohibitively expensive. Uh, 1990 Surf 3 uh, has doors, kind of Lamborghini Koenigsegg-esque that open like scissors. Yeah. Um, it had a, a, a twin turbo version of the Corvette ZR1 LT5, made 650 horsepower. Would have been amazing. Also made out of uh, carbon fiber. Cha-ching. And in and 1990, they're still laying carbon fiber by hand. So every car would have been a bespoke body. Uh, would have cost $300,000 to make. Yeah. Could have gone out and cleaned the clock of about anything being made then. Uh, zero to 62, zero to 100 kilometers an hour was 3.9 seconds. That's fast now. Yeah. At top speed, theoretically, 225 miles an hour. Oh, oh, howdy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, 19, 1990 uh, brakes. How do you think that works out? <laughs> You'll stop eventually, one way or the uh-huh. other. <laughs> yeah, last, th- last thing to go through your mind, you know what it is. It's your lower orifice. Chevy took a lot of runs at making a mid-engine Corvette long before they got to the 8th gen. But that also gave them an opportunity to work out a lot of bugs and figure out how to do it right. And yeah. if you if you look at what we've got now and you look at the performance specs and you look at it, even loaded up, one of those Corvettes is still under 90 grand with everything on it you could possibly get. Yeah. You can't find another car for that money that does what that car does. They finally got it right, and they sure had a lot of a lot of time to figure it out. From Hemmings.com, the uh, Route 66 preservation efforts—they've been uh, the federally funded program has ended. That the, just seems wrong. It's weird, isn't it? It's weird to think about because that's always in the back of my head. You know, you see cool T-shirts and this and that. I wrote a book that was, uh, you know, I used the Route 66 thing off of it. What the deal is, for, according to a program manager for the National Park Service, it's been it's going to be a fiscal year by fiscal year kind of thing to find out if they can get any type of uh, uh, money going for it. Uh, I wanted you to take a stab at pronouncing that poor girl's name. No, ain't going to happen. Not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for pointing out how I 
tried to skip right over that, you jerk. I didn't uh, want to do this story. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you pointed at me. I get it now. Uh, 10-year preservation program was approved in 1999, but not funded until 2001. That was the original. Uh, and it promised matching grants for preservation projects focused on, and quoting, the special places and stories of the historic highway, unquote. Now, Congress reauthorized the program for another 10 years in 2009. What the hell does that actually mean? It means that these little cool places that were along the road, uh, little mom and pop shops, and some of the bigger uh, things that, that really brought about the the feel of the historic Route 66 that carried on the history of it, that told part of the story, uh, these were the ones that got money. And there was like $2,266,000 went to 152 individual projects. Uh, the money helped leverage an additional $3.5 million in funding. And it, it, you know, Route 66 was characterized by small businesses and gas stations, cafes, motels. Uh, that was, what do you see in TV shows and movies and, and even cartoons? It's all about these little places. Uh, they pointed out a couple examples in this article was the uh, restoration of the Rock Cafe in Stroud, Oklahoma, and the Palms Grill in Atlanta, Illinois. These type of projects do have an effect on the local economy. For example, the Palms Grill, the one in Illinois, when it reopened, the local tax base increased by 42%, which yeah, what's, <laughs> tell you a little bit about that That's the mother town. road. What's wrong with you, you mothers? <laughs> well, the funding in any form, will it return? Don't know. Last year, Bill Thomas, the chairman of the Route 66 Road Ahead Partnership, said there's been zero discussion about it. Uh, effort began in 2017 with a bill in Illinois that would make Route 66 the country's 20th National Historic Trail, which is kind of cool. cool. It passed the U.S. House of Rep- uh, Representatives, went on to the Senate in June 2018, but then there was a 35-day government shutdown and rah, rah, rah. Well, it would seem with uh, as many things as the government is funding these days in the face of the uh, pandemic and everything. Yeah, COVID-19, this seems like a really, really small price tag. Uh, they're talking about stuff that's sub $5 million. You know, and, and, and if it can be something that will help an economy that actually is, is part of uh, – um, yeah. that doesn't just go into somebody's pocket. And even – you know, I don't mean to sound mean, but even little mom and pop shops, if it just goes into mom and pop's pockets and doesn't really do anything for the surrounding area, then wh- Why? Um, but, and, and it's it's a nationwide or a, a, a cross country national monument over and over and over again in a million little places. I, I would think funding this is a no brainer. I would. I hope so. I hope it is. I, I hope it uh, gets to carry on because when I'm down, uh, my mom lives in Branson, Missouri, and up in Springfield, I've got family, and we get along uh, I-44 in there and around Joplin, and you start seeing all these signs and this and that, and you get off on some of the chunks. When we went, my wife and I and our kids drove out to California four or five years ago, and we were on chunks of Route 66 out in Arizona and here and there, and it was like, this is this is cool. This is this is where they yeah. were driving. Went off onto a chunk. Even uh, we, my kids couldn't care less. Quite honestly, I'm the one who was thrilled. But we t- pulled off of the you know the, the four lane highway and went over onto the chunk that was original. And my wife's like, "Just go, man. Just go. Go take a drive. Go go take a look." And I kind of went up and down it and just kind of went, "Oh, this is." This is what it was. Some of these buildings were original buildings that had been there. Now they're really, you know, tchotchke shops, but they were still pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I really liked it. So, you know, we'll, 
we'll see what happens with that. The uh, now you having owned several different vehicles, I think this next next uh, news article is right up your alley. What? What makes a muscle car? Yeah. What? You know, you have to reach inside yourself. It's from HotRod.com. Uh, in 2020, the 2020 Detroit Autorama, they had pictures that they had taken there. It brought up a question that's uh, on, on a lot of hot rodders' minds, and it's, you know, what's a muscle car? What is a and muscle car? And there's, there's always been an argument among gearheads about what was the first muscle car. And a lot of people say, uh, you know, the 64 Pontiac Tempest uh, that became the GTO. Okay, maybe, but then guys like me, guys who had uh, early Impalas with 348s and 409s, that predates, you know, my 61 predates that Pontiac by a full three years. So do you go back to the early uh, Chrysler 300 Alphabet cars that start in 55? Or do you go back to the 49 Olds Rocket 88? Uh, oh, yeah. There's, you know, you can go way back. But the common theme in my mind with muscle cars is not pony cars, which were always the Mustangs and Camaros and Challengers. Right. Uh, and not really Corvettes because Corvettes were, were intended to have more of a sporting bet. They were meant to handle pretty well. I think muscle cars, I think lining up at a red light, across from another guy and waiting for it to drop green so you can light them up and see who can go through a quarter fastest. Yeah. And that's in my mind, uh, traditional American midsize to big body cars with a great big motor under the hood and just waiting to slam down the street. <laughs> um, even if you go back to 1949 with the old rocket, uh, 49 to 70 at best, and maybe 71, because uh, in 1970, American manufacturers started curtailing uh, horsepower in order to meet emission standards. Oh, yeah. And then we see uh, the OPEC oil embargo in 73, and it pretty well killed the muscle car. Destroyed what, them. Ugh. What has happened now, though, the last 10 years, and, and maybe even 15, depending upon where you want to go back and look, uh, now is a hell of a time to be a car guy and we get some really legitimate muscle cars now all you got to do is take one look at any hellcat powered dodge product that pushing over 700 horsepower and you can't deny that's a muscle car we got an suv that's a muscle car now <laughs> oh yeah 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 uh, uh what is it Jeep the grand cherokee yes the grand cherokee yes yes oh my god Trackhawk, 707 horsepower and all-wheel drive. You want to talk about a great way to shut your kids up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not there's, turning the car around. Please turn the car around. I'm not turning yeah, the car around. Yeah, <laughs> There's nothing but silence and flattened kidneys in the backseat now, Jack. So it, it it's... It's weird to think about because we even I can't imagine what it's like judging a contest where you're judging muscle muscle cars and having to you know do these cutoff lines and the the griping that goes on around these cutoff lines. I mean, you have to do uh, for judging a contest, you have to do something. You have to have a stopping point. But uh, this argument 
over, you know, a, a classic a classicist who wants it to be all kind of original and just these things. And then sure. the people who, who build out, I don't know, put a 409 into what, a 61 Impala maybe. Um, <laughs> and maybe hot it up a little. Yeah, maybe just a little. So, um, <laughs> you know, the fact, um, the fact that we all love that they can move it and move it quick, you know, we can find some common ground. Common ground, people. Well, oh first God. year, uh, <laughs> at, at least on the 61 Impalas, uh, was the first year for a 409, but they made darn few of them. It was under 200. I think it was around 130 or 140, and that's all that were made. Mine clearly wasn't one of those originally, but it is now. <laughs> and how? <laughs> and <Yeah>. more. <laughs> it, it is It is now. It, you've ridden in that car. You know yes, how the I thing have. moves. <laughs> uh, you know, it, I, I think – the definition for a muscle car can be a bit of a moving target. Most people wouldn't say a 63 Ford T-Bird's a muscle car. But if it's got a four and a quarter horse 427, it damn sure is. Yeah. Suddenly. Hmm. Who knew? So I think there are some loose uh, basic rules. I would say it, it's got to have a pretty sizable V8. If it eats its spinach. It's going to yes. have the muscle. <laughs> By God, Popeye's car. <laughs> Fair uh, speaking of, speaking of muscle cars, now you get into the catfish arena and, you know, the low budget, no budget uh, muscle cars. I also love Haggerty for this because they came out with a little article that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got to be loving this. Go to Haggerty.com and look for six full size alternatives to muscle cars. <sighs> yeah, like I said, I, I'm betting that you were looking at this and wishing the pictures were life-size 3D scratches. <laughs> it was Nerdvana. I, I will not kid <laughs> you. The uh, Now, some of them I still think are kind of butt ugly, but the ones that they had, the pictures that they have in this article are uh, very lovely. And a lot of these cars have been altered from their original appearance, which mm-hmm. is very wise for some of them because, damn. You know, that's a car only your mama's designer could love. It, um, But still, like the 1974 Thunderbird is the first one that they list. Uh, and they have a picture of one from Barrett Jackson that was a customized 70 T-Bird at their 2019 Las Vegas sale. It's purple. Had the front end of a 67 T-Bird that was grafted onto it. So, you know, it was a little change because some of those front ends, especially those very early 70s T-Birds, oh, Ooh. Oh, yeah. Oh, girlfriend. But the one, yeah, you you got to go take a look at the pictures on this. That car is something else. Somebody has got some real serious time, money, blood, sweat, and tears invested in that. That's got a 360 horsepower 429 V8 uh, <laughs> that was in it. I'm like, oh, God, yeah. My, my teeth started getting sweaty when I read that part. And then it went on to a 69 to 70 Buick Wildcat, which I'm okay with. Not my favorite, but not bad. I would go for the T-Bird before this one. And even though I just made fun of the T-Bird being ugly because it just kind of it looked weird and cool. Uh, the Buick Wildcat, though, is still cool. The 1970 models. Let's see. The 69 model had a 360 horsepower 430 V8. 70 models had a 370 horsepower 455. And, you know, that, that looks, I got to admit, that looks pretty good under hood. It's pretty well, sweet. Plus, with with your love for a rolling acre or so of steel. <laughs> if you can play badminton on the front and the back hood, I am a pretty happy camper. Um, oh, yeah. You could set a snack bar up in between on the roof. 
They had a 69 Pontiac Bonneville in it, too, which looked pretty darn good. Uh, the more traditional lines of the Le Mans result. They, they made an upscale car, and they call it without the polarizing nose of the Grand Prix. Uh, pretty much everything about the Wildcat applies to Bonneville. It rides on a GMB body chassis. chassis. Uh, it's got Pontiac's 390 horsepower, 428 V8. So, you know, it may be big, but it's got enough, you know, oomph to get it down the road. Yeah, it's got enough grunt to get you down the road. And with a wheelbase that long, that you know, that thing is going to ride smooth. Now, the next two I have looked for, I have looked for on Facebook uh, Marketplace and in uh, uh, Craigslist because that 1970 Mercury Marauder, God, that is an ugly car. And I, <laughs> I love it like a like an, a pit bull with an underbite because that thing is just ridiculous and and wonderful. It's got a 429 and a 360 horsepower, uh, but it's oh, it's just huge and fun. And it, it those things that size cars. My brother had a 74 Monarch. I had a 74 LTD, and you that 74 Monarch four door. You didn't know how fast you were going down the road. You rolled and it was smooth, and you're just like, oh, wow, why am I passing everybody? Oh, shisa, I'm doing 100. Oopsies. And I better pull that this That thing back. looks like you should be the bad guy in a rerun of the streets of San Francisco. Doesn't it? I just want to go over a hill, throw some sparks, and just keep on rocking. Uh, the 70 Mercury Marauder is great. The 72 Plymouth Grand Fury. Now, I was surprised that I like this because I do like the 71 and 72 uh, like the Chryslers, the uh, uh, not Imperials, but uh, the Newports and the New Yorker, because they just got these, you know, I want to be in the mafia front ends and back ends on them. The ridiculous looking and this Plymouth Grand Fury, it's got these two kind of it's almost like if Batman got really fat. This is what the headlights would look like. <laughs> they've got the surrounded chrome and they're just like, I'm a, I'm a big old Batman. Uh, you know, uh-huh. to, to to the bat buffet, Robin. Uh, just a big, <laughs> fat, happy, mean-looking car. Now, this one that they had, um, what is it? The it's C body. This Chrysler, uh, the Chrysler 300. They talk about blah blah blah. 72 Plymouth Grand Fury, massive, full with chrome bumper, divided into two openings, which makes it look really cool. Uh, like they wrote here, it looks like it could eat a 1970 coronet and spit out its slant six in disgust. Uh, I like it. It's a, it's got a 375 horsepower, 440. Big old 440. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna spend a lot on gas. You're gonna. And it's going to have to be the However, higher octane. Right now, that's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the one good thing about, and then I can't drive. Great. Now, the last one that they mentioned I thought was kind of a riot because I've seen these around, too. And I want I want to like them. I want to like them so hard. But it's really, really tough. 1968 uh, AMC Ambassador. What? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah well that's got some looks i would take i would take the amc what is it the marlin the the dead fish yes. that thing yes. uh you know it's like a barracuda but except it's a perch um it's it's an ugly car but it's awfully kind of fun and that's what i like about it plus this one has a 390 cubic inch v8 so it's got you know 390 give you some uh give you some feel under under your foot pedal now the one thing you got to admit though you're not going to see a lot of these at your car meets. No, no, you're not. Not a lot of no, people like them. So, <laughs> and honestly, if you get one in a decent color, like a dark color, maybe a black, 
Oh yeah, a super a super dark navy blue. If you get one in a dark color and it's been taken care of, it's in good shape. They do have their own charisma. Yeah. The 68, 67, 68 Plymouths with that weird front end on it. That's, it's kind of like the, uh, the old, uh, Mercs where it's just this mm-hmm. big flat block shoving air down the highway. Uh, not beautiful, but there's something about it. It's that, it's that weird charm. No, but it, if you get one of these in a light color with a four door, it does look a little like the automotive equivalent of an A track. <laughs> And hallelujah for that. Viva la A-Track. You know why? Because it never ends, baby. It never ends. <laughs> you, you might have to listen to half a song, but as God no. is my witness, it'll keep on playing. No, I had milk that lasted longer than 8-Track tapes did. <laughs> well, you can find links to these stories and more in our blog at roadmuscleradio.com. And coming up in our second segment, South Dakota Representative Larry Zickman joins Road Muscle Radio to talk about creating our own collector car appreciation day, which uh, Brett and I like the sound of. Uh, and yes. maybe we can do it just like South Dakota did, celebrating their first one in August. Stick around. More Road Muscle Radio is coming up. We're back with Road Muscle Radio. You can find us on the web at roadmuscleradio.com, on Twitter at Road Muscle Radio, and on Facebook, guess what? At Road Muscle Radio. If you know somebody we should talk to, send us an email at driver at roadmuscleradio.com, and we'll see about having them on for an interview. Now, our next guest, Representative Larry Zickmund from District 14 in South Dakota, is a former police commissioner, an Air Force veteran, former president and CEO of the South Dakota Associated General Contractors <gasps> Building Chapter, former state director for South Dakota Career and Technical Education. Larry owns a 1946 Willys Army Jeep, 1946, mind you. Uh, probably br- we'll have to ask about that because I bet you brought it home in two pieces and then made it one. A 1961 MG Roadster, a 1977 MGB, a 1989 Corvette T-top, and two 1993 Special Edition Corvettes, one convertible, and one T-top. So either way, it's be a target top, Mister. Uh, the hair flying, it's got to be that. Uh, and then with a six-speed stick shift, by the way, he recently sold his 1959 Chevy Impala four-door hardtop. We were just talking about that in segment one with you clearing stuff, Brett. So I, I think he knows feels. Now, Larry, uh. Larry also sponsored SD HCR six zero two four. It's a resolution. And I quote this, commending automotive enthusiasts in South Dakota and the Specialty Equipment Market Association for their contributions in preserving classic automobiles and urging the governor to declare a South Dakota Collector Car Appreciation Day this year. One sentence, but it got it all in. He brought the resolution on March 3rd. There was a bit of a kerfuffle over which day to do it, but it ended up being on August 27th, the date of the Cool Deadwood Nights Car Show. The House concurred. Resolution passed on March 9th. And Representative Zickmund, welcome to Road Muscle Radio. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation. When I read about this article, I was both uh, kind of going, yeah, go South Dakota. And then I was a little jealous because I'm like, well, where's ours? So what made you decide to have a South Dakota Appreciation Day? I mean, specifically South Dakota Appreciation Day, in addition to the collector car appreciation day done by SEMA in July. Well, we have a lot of uh, car clubs up here. Uh, even in South Dakota, a population a little over 800. We have a lot of enthusiasts, a lot of uh, car collector enthusiasts, a lot of car shows, 
and uh, we just felt like, and, and I'm a member of SEMA, and we just felt like it was time to have a, a car collector's appreciation day, and and we did wrestle around with the date of it, but uh, uh, it was just time to have one, so that's what we're going to work on. I work for a group of radio stations, and I know that there's uh, the big motorcycle rally and uh, and so many other things that go on in collector groups that come on. And with that many people, I can totally get why you would go, you know, let's have one of our own. Now, for those of us who might, you know, want to do our own state collector car appreciation day, I don't know about you, Brett. I think I think we ought to. I think we ought to. And uh, I think we're the guys who ought to get it started. Larry, can you walk us through the process of how you made this happen? Well, I, of course, got a little bit of help from, from SEMA, but we've been, I'm a car buff anyway, and I know a lot of car buffs. I'm a member of uh, three different car groups, and uh, I we just uh, uh, felt like it was probably time in the legislature to uh, have a uh, resolution on car on the car collection day. We, uh, what you do is, is what we did was we get, got the interest, of course, and then I uh, drew up the bill uh, with SEMA's help, and uh, we put the date in, and then we had to change the date, et cetera, but uh, went through the House first, and uh, then House of Representatives, and then it went through, of course, the Senate, so we didn't have any problem, because we have quite a few um, gearheads, I call <laughs> us, but uh, You've infiltrated the system. There here in South Dakota that, that do really appreciate uh, the the older cars and and collect different cars etc. So um, we have a lot of lot of interest in in our in our cars up here. When when you finally decided on a date and this was kind of an interesting read, you had presented the um, uh, you you led the resolution in, uh, did the presentation and had the date set, and then there was some other guy that said, "Well, hang on, how about this date?" And then you had some conversation on it and voted on it. What was the difference be- between the, the date that you you chose and why you chose it, and then this other one? Well, we originally, uh, or I originally set it for. Uh, in November, in conjunction with the with the SEMA convention, and then it was felt on the on the House floor that you know this is South Dakota, and we really appreciate our car our vehicles here, our older vehicles, and and we need to have a car appreciation day earlier in the year than November because it gets pretty cold up there by that time. Oh, yeah. And, uh, so it was decided that maybe we better have it earlier and. Um, uh, put it in, in in closer or somewhat in conjunction with uh, the Deadwood uh, nights out there. So that's kind of where that came from. But we could have had it any day. We could have had it in July or we could have had it in whatever day. And I think because of the virus now, um, I think it was probably better off to have it the latter part of, of August and, and to uh, coincide with our with the hot summer nights out in Deadwood. So um we're hoping it'll be successful absolutely the uh it does happen uh basically what the first day uh the 26th annual cool deadwood nights in deadwood south dakota and that's k double by the way cool deadwood nights in deadwood south dakota 
Deadwood itself has an amazing history and just a a laundry list of historical Western characters that have actually walked the streets and then do continue to walk the streets now with character actors, which I personally love because I'm a hack thespian. And, oh, my God, that's fun. Um, tell us yes, about <laughs> especially the hack part. Tell us about the 26th <laughs> annual Deadwood Nights in Deadwood, South Dakota. What all is this car gathering? Well, there's, of course, you have a car show, there's a um, car auction, and uh, people drive their old collector cars in and show them off, drive them around, et cetera. And one good thing that it's a that has a pull to that, and along with other things that we have out there, are the Black Hills. There's so many beautiful things to see in the Black Hills, and that, that's a drawing card, including... Uh, included that's why the Sturgis Rally is out there is because you got places to ride your motorcycles and you got and now you got places to ride in the hills a lot of places to um, to ride and enjoy the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota it is just gorgeous out there a lot of places to go a lot of places to to stop etc and and just enjoy the beautiful scenery that's out there so it's deadwood.com so, if you go to the events page at deadwood.com you'll find out more about this uh, one of the things I thought was really cool about it, but it's August 26th through August 30th. And if you want to register a vehicle to be part of the competition, cause you guys give out a slew of awards. I looked at the awards, uh, from 2019 and I'm like, Oh my God, look at all these are so cool. Your vehicle must be a 1973 or older to register. So it's 73 going back, uh, which I kind of love cause I, yeah, I do love eighties cars, but not that much. And the stuff that's so early on, I, I can't imagine. You've been to it. So what do the streets look like when you're just sitting there watching these amazing cars come in? Oh, they're uh, full of people and, and uh, you know, good people that are interested in looking and watching the cars and bringing their kids. And and uh, it's a just not only just a show, but it's an educational time for uh, people to come and come and see some of those older cars. Yeah, you and, teach your kids uh, what a real car is. <laughs> and then you also teach them about real music because I did I I looked at the whole thing about what was going on there because I'm really really interested and uh, some of you you've got Main Street Entertainment that's going to happen with uh, the Grassroots the Buckinghams the Box Tops and that's all on Thursday night you're going to have Orleans on Friday night awesome oh, cool and the 1910 the Fruit Gun Fruit Gum Company on Saturday night there's just Crazy cool. And then these characters walking around. You've got the Black Hills in the background. I think this is wonderful. And, you know, it'll be kicked off with respect to the collector cars through your resolution. You've got your own set of vehicles. What's your favorite one in your collection? Oh, oh God. Oh, you're asking him to, to be pick his favorite kid. Which I know, favorite. right? This is cruelty. It used to be my 59 Chevy for you on Pala Hardtop. Um, and uh, I, I kind of sold that. But I... I think probably it would uh, be kind of a toss-up between my uh, 46 Army Jeep, and because that's a lot of fun. Uh, that's that's original, uh-huh. and the 46 Army Jeep and my '93 uh, Corvette Special Edition Corvette, uh, the automatic. So <laughs> the six-speed is a lot. The six-speed is a lot of fun to drive, but uh, I I kind of enjoy the the convertible and. Uh, yeah. So it, 
It'll probably be a toss-up between those two. But Talk about different uh, ends Jeep of the does, stick. Jeep doesn't go as fast. <laughs> Not quite. buddy of mine had uh, – his name was Eddie McFarlane when I was in high school, and his dad uh, owned a – I think it was a 48 or 49 – Jeep. It was one. It was one of the ones that they had to weld back together because it had been cut in half, and they uh, they welded the thing back together on top of some type of halfway frame. And we got to drive it in the backwoods behind his house a few times. And the thing was slow as molasses, but it could climb trees. It was amazing. <laughs> it was just a well, ridiculous those, those, fun vehicle. Those jeeps are starting to be more and more popular, and people are starting to rebuild more and more of them, especially the army ones. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've had a lot of fun talking about what's going on. We're, uh, Brett and I have been, uh, we're talking on Zoom while we talk to you on the phone. And Brett and I have been doing some, some eyes back and forth about doing our own, uh, uh, putting, you know, putting forth our own resolution to see if Kansas can start doing this because there are so many car clubs and kind of like South Dakota, you got to drive a little further in Kansas, but you can find some really great backdrops and really cool old towns and pieces of this and that around and nearby that make for just, you know, anywhere from wonderful day trips to when you've got a group of people that get together and go out driving. We're, we're right there with you, heart and soul. So thank you for showing us uh, how to lead the way. And, and by the way, good luck on your bid for the big house. I'm running for Senate for the house, at, uh, state house. State house Senate. Absolutely. You're getting up there. Pretty soon we'll have to call you. Uh, Mr. Zickmund, sir, <laughs> even a car meets. <laughs> I'm just plain old Larry. I just work for the people on that. Uh, you know, I don't do, it for my re- don't do it for my resume. So Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll get to see you at Cool Deadwood Nights. And uh, Larry Zickman, thank you so much for joining us on Road Muscle Radio. Well, you're very, very welcome. Thanks for the invitation and call me anytime. And thank you for sharing your time with us as we yak about grease, gears, and cool car stuff. There's nothing like going on a fun ride, especially when you've got a best bud to share it with. Be sure to visit us on Facebook at Road Muscle Radio, at RoadMuscleRadio.com, and on Twitter. I'm Catfish Groves. And I'm Brett Hatfield. And we'll catch you down the road on Road Muscle Radio. Road Muscle Radio.